Well, good morning, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you. And I've uh, been getting to know some of the folks over here at Harborside, and it's just been a delight. And this fellowship this morning and just being in your presence has really been an encouragement to me. Thank you for those who led us in worship. Uh, my heart was, was really moved by the songs that we sang and, and the emphasis that was brought in those, in those songs this morning. I thought it set the table very nicely for us today. Well, what I'd like to do um, when I was uh, asked to come and as I was uh, interacting with Tim a little bit about what direction to go, and uh, they asked me if I do something from the Old Testament with regard to prophecy or just some direction in that area, and I said, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I've got some ideas as to how I might be able to do that. I'm going to take something that might be a little bit unique. Maybe you don't think about it. Sometimes when you think about prophecy, you think about uh, you know, the Messiah. Uh, sometimes you think about uh, how all the world is going to be configured politically in the future, and you think about big battles and everything. But uh, I want to go maybe another direction and see how the Lord would use that uh, this morning. And let me begin by just asking you rhetorically, you don't have to respond, but what's the best gift that you ever received in your life so far? You know, can you think back? Or maybe what's the best gift that you have ever given that you saw brought the broadest smile and the brightest, you know, lifting of the eyes when you had given it to somebody else? You may, maybe you put a lot of thought into it, something for a wife or a family member or a friend. You know, what's the best gift? And maybe you've got something in mind. I always enjoy giving as well as receiving. And uh, I always uh, particularly enjoy when, when there's been a lot of thoughtfulness and intentionality that goes into the gift. Well, with that in mind, let me just segue and say one of the most significant gifts that God ever gave to the nation of Israel was the gift of land. Land was probably one of the more significant gifts that God ever gave to the nation of Israel. The, I call it the Older Testament, not the Old and Useless Testament, but it's older in the sense that it was given first, so it's still uh, a critical part of our life, so I like to refer to it in that way. The Older Testament makes much of this gift of land. It's detailed, for example, in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the, the first five books of the Bible. So it's detailed there for us. It was fought for and then occupied uh, to an extent in that next historical section or what we would call the former prophets. It was then lost in Kings and Chronicles. It was longed for in the book of Psalms. And it is enjoyed once again to an extent in the minor prophets. You know, so when you think about land, land does play a very significant part in the Older Testament. In fact, one writer, one scholar said, you know, really a simple way to organize the content of the Old Testament or the history of the Old Testament might be thinking in terms of when was Israel landed and when was Israel landless. And you could kind of think your way through the Old Testament when those periods happened. They were landed, for example, and enjoying the land of Israel that was promised to them by God uh, almost to its fullest extent under King David and Solomon. And then they were landless when we come to those last kings of the nation of Israel. And they got landed again after they came out of the Babylonian captivity. And now where are they? They're landless pretty much. And uh, is God moving them back to a period of landedness 
in the future. That's what I want to talk about here this morning. So scholars will divide over how we should handle this theme of the land. You know, some, uh, and I would put myself uh, to an extent in this group, uh, would think that uh, this promise of land is going to be fulfilled in a literal way sometime in the future. Others feel that the New Testament teaches us, no, the land is not going to be actually received in a little literal way, but it's all realized in Christ and our relationship with Him, and there's a greater rest than we, that we now enjoy as opposed to what the nation of Israel was looking for. So how do we read this promise? You see, that's my, that's my concern. I, I want to wrestle with the question, how do you and I read this promise of land as New Testament believers today? I just said to you the Old Testament is older. You know, it's not useless. So we need to think about, well, how do we relate to it? How do we read this promise of land as a New Testament church today? How do we understand Israel's land gift? And how can we relate to it? Can we relate to it? What is the good news about the land that we can enjoy as New Testament believers? Well, what I'd like to suggest to us this morning is I think a pathway for you and for me as New Testament believers to enjoy this gift of land, in a sense, is to think about it from the perspective of the giver of the gift as opposed to the gift itself. Let's take a look at the giver of this gift. God is the divine giver. God is the divine giver. God promises to give Israel a dwelling place. Now, you might say, yeah, man, what are you doing to my head this morning at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning? You're talking about stuff that's really thick, and I'm not all that interested, so let's get on with it. Uh, get, to the, get to the bottom line here. Well, stick with me, because really, ultimately, I'm trying to answer for you maybe some heart questions that are core to your being. Those questions would be things like this. Is God faithful? I'm going to try to answer that question in what we unpack today. Is God faithful? Maybe some of you are wrestling with the faithfulness of God in your life this morning. Maybe you're going through some things and you're just thinking, man, where is God? Is He faithful? Can I trust Him? Is another question. Is the Word of God reliable? You know, maybe you're, you're wrestling with um, some voices that are speaking into your head that are trying to take away your confidence in the Word of God. And what I want to do is kind of take that question mark that you might have and put it on an anvil of the reliability of the Word of God and hammer that question mark into an exclamation point. God is faithful. God's Word is reliable. And I can trust Him. And maybe some of you are wondering, can I really trust God with the details of my life? Or should I be more in charge of what's going on? So even though this might be a little bit of a different road to answer those questions, those are the things that really are at the bottom for me that I ultimately want to address with you. So let's just think our way through the Scriptures, just for a moment, all right? So here's God. We're in the opening pages of the Bible. We're in Genesis. So we have, the, we have that first unit called the Law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And in Genesis... What does God do? But he makes a promise to Abraham that he would give him land, seed, and blessing. So Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. What God is doing is progressively communicating with, dealing with Abraham and saying, Abraham, 
I'm calling you out of the Ur of Chaldees. I'm leading you to a place that you know, is yet to be defined. And what I'm promising you is land, seed, and blessing. And in this text of Scripture, you hear things like this. Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. How about over in Genesis 15? There, the Lord God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And then in Genesis 17, verse 8, The whole land of Canaan where you are now alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So isn't it sweet what you see happening is God progressively dealing with Abraham through a variety of conversations. He says, just go to this land. He doesn't tell him where. And then he says, the, it, it's going to be in Canaan. And then he says, it's going to be an everlasting possession. And he's progressively unpacking the details of his pathway to this place that God would have him go. So Genesis. So here's God, the faithful God, the eternal God, communicating with Abraham and giving him detail about this place that he would go. All right, now, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the remaining four books of the, the Pentateuch, the law, what is God doing? God keeps this promise fresh in the minds and the hearts and the eyes of his people Israel. And the Pentateuch, those, those books, anticipate land occupation. And it would be Moses who was the intended leader to bring them in. Exodus, the Lord is talking about the land that he <clears throat> will give to his people as he promised. Uh, numbers. Now Moses said to uh, Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And we could go on through Deuteronomy, and I won't rehearse every one of the verses, but I want you to know this. The land was the place that God designed to give his people safety and rest. He designed to give them safety from their enemies and rest. Now, what is really amazing about this land, and, and if you follow the news and the politics of the day, and you think about where is Israel, this rich you know, place known as Israel today. It really is a land between superpowers. You know, Babylon and Iraq and Iran and Egypt. Isn't it amazing that, that God put his people in this most strategic place between world powers? You think God did that on purpose? I believe he did. Really, because in order for Iraq and Iran to get down to Egypt, they have to come through Israel. In order for Egypt to get up into that area, they've got to go through Israel. And so God put them in a place where they would have to be absolutely dependent upon him. Isn't that amazing? And doesn't God often do that in our own lives? You know, he puts us in places that are, and that require us to be absolutely dependent upon him. So, now we move to the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua realizes land occupation to a certain extent. And what you see in the book of Joshua is God giving this gift of land to the nation of Israel. And when you look at chapter 1, 
verses 1 to 6, which introduces us to the book, you see that this act of giving, or this, this promise of land is an act of giving based upon this promise that God was going to make. And in chapter 1, verse 2, get, uh, Joshua is told, Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. Verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised to Moses. Verse 4, your territory will extend from, and he details the boundaries. And then in verse 6, be strong and courageous. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to give them. And so when you look at this, you see that God's gift of land to Israel is certain. So can I trust God? Is God faithful? And we'll get to this in just a moment here, but one of the things I want to parse out is the number of years that are between God's promise to Abraham and the life of Joshua. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the Lord is the sovereign giver of this land. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the person speaking this word of promise into the ears and the heart and the life and the fabric of the nation of Israel is the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He's the God who's created heaven and earth. He's brought it into existence. And he's now moving this people that he's bringing into existence into a place where they will be secure and they will have rest. The sovereign of all the earth will give Israel this land. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God commands Joshua to arise and to cross over into the promised land. And that command is based upon the promise as well as this act of giving. It's, it's kind of interesting. Listen as I read verses 2 and 3 of Joshua 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over to this Jordan. Go over this Jordan. And you and all this people to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. All right? So it's anticipating. We're, we're, all right, Joshua, Moses is dead. He didn't obey my word. <clears throat> He's not going to lead in to the land, the people of Israel. You're going to be the one to lead the nation of Israel in. And I'm giving you this land. And Joshua's like, yeah, that's right. We're going to realize this promise that God has made many, many years ago. But listen to verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, as I said. Isn't it interesting? In the one verse, verse 2, it's I will give you this land. In verse 3, I have given. So in the mind of God, this act of occupying the land is a done deal. It's going to happen. You know, you're going in. I promised it. I'm going to give it to you. It's a done deal. And all you need to do is courageously trust me. Courageously trust me. Now, put yourself in that army of Israel for a moment. What would you be thinking? How would you be feeling? Would you be willing to march behind Joshua into that land? Would you be willing? Would you have the courage enough to trust the God of heaven and earth and to put your confidence in him and his word, to follow Joshua into that land? Would you go? You know, would you follow? Do you have enough confidence in the God who's making the promise? Do you have enough confidence in the the certainty of God to fulfill the promise, you have enough confidence in the word of God to follow Joshua in. And that's why in verse 6 we read, Be strong and of good courage, 
For to this people you shall divide the inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give. So the certainty of land occupation is based upon the character of God and his word of promise. Now God's gift to Israel, this gift of land is a gift. It wasn't a military trophy. It's kind of interesting when you look at verse 3, the boundaries are described sort of generally. In verse 4, the boundaries get a little bit more specific. But by and by, and what we all need to understand that, you know, that Israel's occupation of the land was not because they were great military leaders or that they won a military trophy. This was an act of God giving them this land. And that's the thing that stands out. God is the divine giver of this land. Israel was in the land because God kept his word of promise. And it wasn't occupied because of their military success or their administrative skill. It was occupied in accordance with the power of God's word and their courage to trust the word of God. So promise precedes conquest. And Israel marched toward the land based upon the promises that God was making. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I don't know, I don't, I'm not a very patient person by nature, but if you think about it, here's the, here's the time between Genesis 12 and Joshua 1. There's about 660 years. 660 years. If you date, and I, I tend to be pretty conservative in the way that I would date these events, but Abraham is dated about 2066 B.C., and Joshua's occupation of the land, his leadership is about 1406 B.C. So we're talking about 660 years. Man alive, I, I can't wait 660 seconds, you know, for something to come about. You know, and to, you know, when, when things aren't happening according to my timetable, I'm like, okay, Lord, you don't love me anymore, right? You've given up on me, right? You're disciplining for me for something. What's the sin in my life? You, know, you start thinking about all these dark things and fishing in that dark hole that Satan has designed for you. But 660 years, isn't that incredible? And God has remained faithful. His word has not been altered. You can trust him. You see, you can trust him just like they trusted him. So God's gift of land to Israel will be enjoyed by word obedience. The Lord promised the land to the nation of Israel, and that was certain. But Israelites could lose the blessing of that land if they did not obey God's word. And that's exactly what happened through the history of Israel. You know, as God, God said, this is your land. This is the place of of rest. This is a place of safety and security. And all you need to do is just trust my word. But what did, what did they do? They played the harlot. They went out and they fornicated themselves to other gods. They, they didn't faithfully follow the Lord God. And what did God do over a period of time and through history? He said, all right, Israel, I'm going to take you out of the land and put you under the discipline of Assyria and put you under the discipline of Babylon. So they lost. There, there was a, a losing of that, that place, and yet God is still faithful to this promise. Unfortunately, land was not fully occupied in conquest. And when you read Joshua and Judges, you see the nation struggling to find their place and occupy the land. You see them almost getting to the full occupation of the borders of the land under David and Solomon. And then you see them 
than just going into a spiral of decay through some of the future kings of the nation of Israel. So that's why I say it's kind of an already not yet at play here. God's made a promise about the land. And what's yet to happen in the future with this land of Israel? Isn't it interesting how land is still a major point of news reporting? You know, what's going on in the nation of Israel? There's still a lot of fighting over the land. And there's a, there is a, a determination to put your stakes in the ground and Israel to have their place. So in what way then, and let me wrap it up in this way, in what way can we appropriately apply this theme of land to your life and to my life? Well, let me say it this way. God gives his people different gifts. To the nation of Israel, he gave the gift of land. That was, their, that was home for Israel. It was a secure place where Israel will live and have a full and abundant life under Christ's righteous rule. And the nation, I believe, in some way or other, is going to enjoy the land that God has promised to them under the leadership of Christ the Messiah, the King. So my question is this. Is there a good news pathway for us to read this gift of land? And I think there is. And let's ask the question this way. What did Christ give the church? What was the greatest gift that Christ gave the church? The great, you know, one of the greatest gifts that we said was given to the nation of Israel, was the land. What did he give to the church? Well, to the church he gave the grace gift of Christ. Jesus Christ is the gift to the church. John three sixteen. He gave us his spirit. He gave us leadership in Ephesians chapter 4. And what is interesting about John three sixteen? can you kind of rehearse it in your head? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't it interesting that gift and giver are brought together in that one verse? What's the gift? The gift of Jesus is Jesus. Who's the giver? The triune God. You see, gift and giver are brought together. The Lord Jesus is the gift. The eternal Lord God is the giver of this Christ's gift. But like the Levites, you know, that priestly tribe, the church has no land inheritance. We are not promised land. We, we don't have a... We don't have a stake on real estate as the church. And it's just like the Levites, you know, when the Lord went through all of the promises to the various tribes of Israel, to the Levites, he said, you know, you don't get anything in the land. I'm your gift. I am your gift, is what he said to the Levites. Like the Levites, the church has a priestly and royal identity. And unlike the nation, the church is entrusted with a great commission commanded to go out and to preach the word of God and to disciple and to evangelize. And so although the gifts may differ over time to Israel and to the church, the divine giver remains the same. And I think Joshua 1 really encourages us to see God as the divine giver. He is the sovereign giver is what I want you to see. I want you to see when you think about land and you think about Israel and you think about the church, what I want you to walk away with this morning is a huge impression upon your heart of the greatness of your God. All right? Of the greatness of your God. I trust the Spirit of God will take these simple thoughts about God Himself and really massage them deeply into your heart so they don't, they don't leave you very easily today. I want you to see that God is the sovereign giver. He makes, He maintains, he fulfills promises to his people. 
I want you also to see that God is a faithful covenant giver. He enters into relationship with his people and he keeps the promises of that relationship with his people. God is a righteous giver. His gifts are not related to our righteousness. Anything that we have really arises out of and is so connected with the righteousness of our God. God is a gracious, caring giver. You see, in Deuteronomy 9, verse 28, we read there, The Lord gives the land to Israel, although they were stiff-necked. Are you a little bit stiff-necked? I know I am. I'm probably stupid-necked is maybe a better way to say it. But, you know, stiff-necked kind of people. And yet, what does God do? He gives grace to his people. So, the good news is this. Gospel living is possible because God is a faithful giver of gifts to his children. I have given them your word, Jesus says in John 17. I will give them your spirit, Jesus says in John 7. I will give them a way of escape, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. You see, both Testaments, old and new, older and newer, call upon us to rest in and to enjoy our greatest gift, which is the Lord himself. God's greatest gift. So our focus today, really, I just wanted to highlight the character and the, the, the faithfulness of our God. And our God gives us every gift that is necessary for living the gospel life. And you might be saying, man, this Christian life stuff, how am I supposed to live it? Just live it like Abraham did. Trusting the word of God, trusting in the character of God. Since we can't outgive God, let's trust him. I really would appeal to you men this morning to see our God as the divine giver who gives you joy and satisfaction in your life and to realize that he'll graciously and faithfully give you what you need to take the next step in your spiritual life. And for some of you this morning, that next step might be to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. And what I, would, I hope this morning that the Spirit of God will use his word in connection with his spirit to massage these things deeply into your soul so that you'll go away encouraged knowing number one god's word is reliable i can trust him number two i can trust my god because he is faithful and if you are here this morning never had put your faith and trust in christ i invite you this morning to see this great giver this giver of eternal life this giver of an opportunity for a relationship this giver who will provide everything that you need to live a life of joy and satisfaction in him now will life be easy maybe not the scriptures talk a lot about how to live out your faith in the midst of suffering and affliction but we know that we're not orphans in those moments of affliction and difficulty because god is the great giver the divine giver who's who abides with, with us through all the ups and downs and all the difficulties of life I trust you'll be encouraged along this line, and hopefully you'll see that, that here is a, a reference to land that doesn't necessarily stop with geography and real estate, but has so much more to say to us about the person who's giving that promise. And that's what I want you to see this morning. See the person making that promise and find your rest in him this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the kindness of Harborside 
to allow me to come and to share these thoughts with them this morning. And I pray, Father, that these men might see the question marks of their life put on the anvil of your, of your word, hammered into exclamation points that they can have courage and confidence in. And we'll give you the praise that comes from this. In Christ's name, amen.